What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Welcome back. We have just a few more episodes for you before we take a break for the holiday season. Today on the show, we're talking about how technology is changing bespoke apparel. The word bespoke is derived from the British word bespeak, which means to discuss in advance or to order or reserve something. You can see here why the word has had a long-standing relationship with tailoring and tailor-made clothing. At one time, garments were created based on consumer demand and to their measurements and specifications. While the Industrial Revolution may have moved us towards mass manufacturing, we may be returning to an era of highly customized clothing. Only this time, technologies including software, 3D body scanning, and artificial intelligence are making it easier and more efficient than ever to scale the bespoke experience. My guest today is Mark Close, the co-founder and CEO of Bespokeify. Bespokeify is a fashion tech company that creates customizable and bespoke-fitting apparel patterns instantly. Bespokeify enables custom fashion to be made as efficiently and affordably as mass production, and in the process, it eliminates returns because of poor fit, helps build inventory-less fashion brands, and opens the door to AI-driven design. Here to tell us more is Mark Close of Bespokeify. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, what is Bespokeify? So we're a fashion supply chain technology company. And our mantra is basically creating a supply chain where clothes can be made for individuals rather than broad markets. So the technology that we built, our secret source, essentially automates the process from product development through to manufacturing. There's a lot of steps that are currently involved from pattern making and grading and also transferring that information to factories. What we do is automate all of that uh, chatter between these different disciplines, have an algorithm that basically computes all of these, these requirements. And with that, we can actually unlock personalization at scale. We can scale this up like it hasn't actually been achieved to date. And so who do you work with? Who are your customers? There's actually quite a range of different types of customers we work with. So for example, at the very small end, we've got startup brands. And a lot of startup brands have this dilemma, how do I actually start my business, get as much product as I can out there without taking on the burden of inventory? So inventory risk is a huge problem for any startup business. You just don't have the capital reserves to support the warehouses full of product or the, or the plethora of different SKUs that you might want when you start your business. So those guys can definitely use this type of technology to be able to produce on demand or produce with very, very small order quantities so that they don't have to take on that burden. We also have big apparel brands and these brands are, are interested for two different reasons. One, rapid product development. So as we become more digitized as a, as a society when, and we're more connected as ever, brands are realizing that it's difficult for the, the long lead times that they're accustomed to, that let's say six to 12 months to design products for these markets. The, the digital space is evolving at a much faster rate than traditional supply chain in apparel. 
So for them to be able to speed up the product development process is a huge boon. They can stay abreast with whatever's happening uh, as far as trends are concerned and capitalize on those rather than missing them time and time again because it takes so long to bring their ideas to market. So that's one big area. And the second area, of course, is mass customization. And that's an increasingly popular buzzword or term that we're seeing in this industry is people are starting to ask the question, like, why can't I have this made in my size? Or why can't I change this particular detail? So having a technology like ours allows big brands to unlock those two capabilities. And finally, probably you wouldn't think of it, manufacturers. In fact, manufacturers are our biggest user group at this stage. And the reason being is they are producing thousands of samples a month and every single one of those unique. So when they get a tech pack from a big brand, they have to somehow create the pattern, somehow grade that to whatever size specification that the brand requests, produce a sample, and they have to do all that within a couple weeks. So it is pretty much a mass customization type of business, but instead of having retail customers as the end user, we have brands that are demanding this type of output from these, these vendors. So our technology is used in this in these instances to allow these manufacturers to be able to process the number of samples and, and new products that they have to bring to market each month. Fantastic. And so you're addressing a number of challenges right now that the industry is facing. And I'm going to get you to walk us through the kind of process of how Bespokeify works in just a second. But first, I wanted to ask... Um, it's something about what you said there in the middle about standardized sizing and mass customization. What's the problem with standardized sizing at the moment? Sure. So first I want to start by saying I don't think standard sizing is necessarily a bad thing. And this has been a very long journey for me to come to a point where I'd say that publicly. Being a company that pretty much specializes in producing uh, customized apparel. But the reality is a lot of products don't need anything other than a standard size. For example, if you're gonna buy knitwear, you only really need a few different grades for it to work for a broad range of the population and the stretch aspect of that knit is a big proponent of that. But there are definitely products that do require more personalization than we get as consumers at the moment. And I'm sure there's a lot of frustrated women in North America in particular that just cannot find garments that fit them and that's because the standard size grading approach just doesn't work. But before I, I, I delve into that a little bit more, I just want to say a few more positive notes for standard sizing. With standardization, we also can achieve economies of scale. That's how motor vehicles have been able to get cheaper. And that's how apparel also is incredibly cheap compared to what it used to be like 100 years ago when you used to go down to your tailor to get your wardrobe outfitted. So. If you standardize, you can make things cheaper due to economies of scale, but that also unlocks a range of other issues because you're kind of siloing a very complicated and complex and diverse population into five or so increments. So we've seen this time and time again, lots of people express their gripes about it, but just garments don't tend to fit a, a broad range of different body types, different ethnicities and things like that. And as a brand, it's difficult for brands to cater to a broad range of, of populations because every time they introduce a new size grade, they're increasing the, the inventory management headache 
uh, exponentially. So if you want to have, say, 50 sizes of bras, that's 50 times more SKUs that you have to manage for that particular product. And you want to introduce another product, you have to grade that also to 50 sizes. So it's, it's really not a nice problem to be faced with as a brand, but it's equally difficult for consumers if to have to select from a limited range and a lot of people get left in the dark. Yeah, absolutely. I always give the problem. It's not an apparel anecdote. It's more footwear. I have a very big foot, but a very slim leg. So anytime I'm buying boots that are my size, which is a size 10, it assumes that my calf is huge <laughs> and it's not. So I have to get custom boots all the time. Same thing, you know, bodies are totally different. So I appreciate you outlining those positives about standardized sizing though, because uh, it, it is true. All of those points that you just made there. So can you walk us through how Bespokeify works? Sure. So what we've created essentially is a product development system. And we're agnostic as to whether you use the product as a standard size item or if you want to actually go all the way and create a bespoke item. So what happens is you will create or design the product within our platform rather than drawing a picture of what you want and then sending that to a, a pattern maker to get converted into a pattern and then graded, etc., you would select the design variations that make up that particular design that you want to make. So for example, if you have a shirt, a shirt, if we break it down, we can look, okay, we've got collars. Collars, you, you've got collar point lengths, you've got um, a whole range of different parameters that constitute the design of a collar. And if you extrapolate this to an entire shirt, we've, we can look at plackets, we can look at pockets, we can look at sleeves and cuffs and so on and so forth. And if you can break it into all of these different parts, then a designer pretty much has everything that they need to be able to create any type of design that they can conceive. So we've got this system in place. The designers create the design within this tool. And then because it's designed in this tool, we can automate everything that happens afterwards. So that is the creation of the pattern. That is the grading so if it's going to be graded to a specific body type or if it's going to be graded to a, a sizing specification, it also includes all the manufacturing related items. So how the fabric needs to be cut out, exactly what shrinkage is required uh, to be incorporated into the actual pattern. Also, if we have any machine order automation on the production side, how, what task is that specific machine supposed to do? So our system does all of the number crunching, all of the hard work in creating the pattern through to how does it get sewn together in production. And all of that computation is done within a few seconds. So it's an incredibly powerful tool. I just want to drop uh, a vision into the frame right now. So right now when we are purchasing garments, we go to a, let's say in the context of e-commerce, we go to a, a website let's say Farfetch, I go to Farfetch and I'm browsing through and I'm trying to find something I like. I can use filters to, to try to find that exact style that I want or I might just browse because I'm trying to find a style that I like. What, what we are faced with right now is the products that you're seeing have been designed by a number of different designers across the world anticipating what you are gonna want at that specific moment. And this is often happening months, even years in advance. It seems to me like a very inefficient way of a designer creating 
and a consumer buying. That dynamic is very asymmetric, it's very disconnected. What we can do with a technology where you can automate everything from design through to production is in the future, say I'm browsing through Farfetch. Farfetch know a few things about me, like what I've bought in the past. They know the sorts of things that I like. They know my, some demographic information. They also can track the behavior of, of what I'm doing on the site. Am I filtering or am I browsing? Basically, am I looking for something specific or am I just looking for inspiration? And all of this information is data that gets fed into an algorithm. And the algorithm is computing or predicting exactly what it is that you're looking for. And it will create the product that very second that you're on that website as it's learning. It will render the product, it will show you the product, all in seconds of your interaction with this website. So in the future, when we're buying clothes, we're not going to be buying something that has been designed six months or 12 months ago. We're going to be buying product that we know, or brands know, or e-commerce sites know you want at that very second. So basically, supply will meet demand in, in real time. So now are you talking about AI basically generating new fashion designs? Exactly that. Exactly that. And lots of people will argue, oh, you can't, you can't codify creativity and, and so on and so forth. But I think we're just at the, the beginning of what people really understand the capabilities of AI are. But definitely when you complement a very capable AI with a technology like Bespokeify, that is a future that we can see very soon. I have to ask, with all of this talk about automation, should pattern makers and fashion designers be worried? It depends. There's a lot of precedent through other industries with the introduction of automation. Roles definitely change. There's no doubt about it. The question is, can these professionals, can they adapt their skill set and apply them in new and interesting ways? For example, I would say a pattern maker sitting in front of a computer all day and doing pattern alterations and adjustments is probably not the best use of their time. If instead they were faced with, or the, say given the mandate to just think of making things better. So the algorithm is creating these products, but perhaps we, we can improve this or that. Rather than focusing on the grunt work, taking them out and getting to focus on more of the higher level planning or strategy, I think that's where people should be. I don't think people or humans in particular should be involved in any kind of computational work because you just cannot compete with an algorithm. Like a, a human pattern maker is not going to make a better pattern than, than a really intelligent AI that's the culmination of years and years of development and let's say from several row tailoring logic right through to uh, modern Japanese pattern making methods. Like a human is not going to be capable of digesting and synthesizing that and then being able to deploy that on a day-to-day -day basis, whereas an algorithm can. At the end of the day, can these professionals transfer their, their very capable skill sets in a more conceptual and, and overarching way rather than getting stuck in the grunt work, which they're definitely not capable of competing against technology with? Right. It seems like an answer that can be extrapolated to the question of how automation will impact employees everywhere, right? 
Um, so I want to talk about 3D body scans because a lot of the time when we talk about the challenge of fit, uh, we see these companies that are coming up with 3D body scan solutions to then be able to either recommend clothes that fit or create clothing that is just for your body. So how does Bespokeify integrate with 3D body scan solutions? Good question. I'm going to give you some feedback about the whole idea of 3D body scan. I think that's probably not the approach that we should be taking. What we should be addressing this as is measurement capture or fit capture because a body scan can only give you data points about a body. So it can give you body measurements, it can give you silhouette, but even silhouettes are a bit subjective. So there's there's kind of a processing that needs to happen for us to properly understand what does this body actually mean as far as silhouette is concerned. But there's lots of other things that influence fit. You've got the material itself. If I'm wearing denim, okay, uh, a woven non-stretch denim versus a very stretch, almost jegging-like denim is going to have completely different fit behaviors. Me just knowing someone's body measurements and silhouette is not enough for me to actually create a pair of denim for a body when you consider material as a variable. But not only that, you've got fit perception. So if I design uh, a, a pair of skinny jeans for you, it's gonna fit differently in your mind than what it might mean to me. The point I'm trying to make is there's just so many variables in this equation that 3D scanning as an approach maybe covers 5% of the entire problem. And that's a problem that we've noticed the more we've worked with 3D measurement capture tools over the years, uh, the information that we get from those systems is not enough. And that's not even getting into the whole accuracy issue and things like that because if you, for example, have a, a high quality $15,000 scanner sitting in a showroom, people can go in and get scanned, even that is not perfect. There's going to be problems when there's artifacting and, and lots of little issues that can completely throw out and ruin a garment because it, it's just an inevitability with this type of technology. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you can have this, these sort of selfie apps, take a couple of pictures and we can get your measurements. All of these technologies have their limitations. And even if they were working flawlessly, we still have a very, very complicated fit equation that really needs a lot more R&D and probably will take uh, many more years to come in the future to properly map out and solve. We've talked about this idea of mass customization kind of throughout, but I want to dig into it a little bit more. What are the implications of mass customization, I guess, both for consumers and for the way we manufacture clothing? I would say the biggest value add of mass customization is we increase the intrinsic value of garments. What's happened since the Industrial Revolution, say, in apparel is the cost of garments have dropped because you can basically increase the output of factories on a per, like per line, per item day. The number of items per day, per line, has increased considerably over the, the last few decades. And also when you look at the outsourcing of manufacturing to lower cost countries like Southeast Asia, we have seen the price of garments drop dramatically. But at the same time, for these operations to be viable, they need to have volume. So whenever you want to get something made or a big 
big brand gets something made, they have to produce thousands of a particular style. And the problem with that is, obviously you, you end up with waste. A lot of the product that gets sold is only a fraction of the total product that was actually made. So a lot of that is ending up in landfill, a lot of that's being cleared at markdown at, at, at a loss a lot of the time. So there's, there's so much inefficiency built into this supply chain model that it's, it's pushed down prices, it's decreased margins as well. So manufacturers are basically having to absorb a lot of that inefficiency in their, in their pricing. They're trying to find cheaper and cheaper ways to make the same garment. In fact, I have a very interesting anecdote. I'm not gonna give you specifics, but if you look at the price of a Ralph Lauren polo shirt 10 years ago, and you compare it to the price of a Ralph Lauren polo shirt, now I'm talking wholesale buying from a factory, it, is, it will blow your mind. We're, we're, we're looking at a, a considerable drop in the unit price per polo shirt within 20 years, whereas everything else in the world has gone up. The cost of living, cost of labor. So it just goes to show all of that squeezing has gone into the manufacturing. The price of garments has dropped, the quality of the garments has dropped. So if we can make garments that are higher quality, we can achieve that through personalization and that will increase the value of the product. And there's a lot of knock-on uh, benefits as well. You, you can, for example, localize manufacturing because the, the, gar the garment's now worth more. You can pay your vendors more, which means you could probably afford to produce in the US and still sell it around the same price. You increase the likelihood that the garment will have an end of life. So when I've stopped wearing it, I can give it to someone and maybe they can sell it or um, there's still value left over. It's not like you're going down to Walmart and buying some uh, singlets. You walk outside the store, you actually drop one on the floor and the value of the actual singlet is worth less than you picking it up, taking it home and washing it. So we, we have this opportunity to move completely away because we're, we're now stopping the, and we're stopping the way we look at garments as some form of commodity and we're now looking at them as some object of, of value because at the end of the day, that garment's been made for me, or at least it's, it's a lot more focused and it's a lot more tailored um, for, my, for my needs than the current business where you know, we're, we're developing for these broad markets and, and missing the mark for most people. Yeah, and that leads into my next question really nicely, which is about sustainability. As you know, it's a huge conversation in the fashion industry right now. So the sustainability angle for Bespokeify, if someone is using your platform, um, are they going to see savings, um, both in terms of economic savings and waste? Absolutely. I guess the biggest thing I could spruik is the elimination of waste, because we're becoming much smarter and much more agile from a supply chain perspective. We, we don't have to produce 100 garments and then throw away 50 and then discount 30. We don't have to do that anymore. We can produce 100 garments and send those to 100 homes. That's the supply chain that we need. I mean, it, it just it's crazy that we don't have it right now, but if you look at the mechanics of what I described earlier, it, it makes sense why it's not happening. And from an economic point of view, if you can eliminate that waste, that's 70 cents on the dollar going to, to zero value added areas, then you can pay your, your suppliers more. So we're gonna have much more ethical manufacturers we're going to have much closer manufacturing to where we live, which will have 
benefits to the environment as well because we're not shipping things across the world um, to arbitrage the, the cost of labor. We're also going to, from the brand perspective, have more profitability because now I'm spending a dollar and that the efficiency of that dollar is, is 100%. I'm not throwing away any inventory, I'm not discounting anything. So everyone benefits from this supply chain. The missing link is the technology. So for us, it's a really important mission that we're on is developing the technology so that we can actually realize this future. And how much does Bespokeify cost if you are a tailor or an apparel brand you want to get started? We're working on this SaaS type of model. So you subscribe to Bespokeify and you can access our public libraries. So we have these design libraries um, where you can design your own products using these incredibly capable libraries. It can be a shirt, jeans, trousers, whatever. In the future, we'll have complete coverage of every product that you can imagine. But right now, it's fairly limited. But you can go in, you can design whatever you want within these uh, public libraries and you just pay a subscription based on the number of patterns that you end up developing each month. So if you're a small brand, you might pay $59 a month. If you're a mega brand, you, you'll pay a lot more than that. But it basically scales with the type of uh, activity that you, you're using Bespokeify for. We also have the ability to customize libraries. So when we're talking about bigger brands or manufacturers, we typically develop a, a custom library specifically for them so that they, they might have this specific design that they've been producing for the last three decades. We can build a, a pattern library so they can reproduce that style or variations of that style um, within their own little environment rather than using our public, publicly available libraries. Great, and I just have a few uh, final questions for you before I let you go. How did you get into this? What's your background? I was actually burned as a fashion startup. I invested a lot of money into inventory and I brought the product to market and I realized actually there probably wasn't the market that I thought for this particular product. And I was stuck mm. with trying to sell all this inventory. It was, it was a crazy pro proposition, but this is a mistake that hundreds of people make every day. <laughs> And out of that, I realized, you know, there are, we can definitely solve this. And there are technologies that we can develop to eliminate the need to have to do this, to, to preempt what people might want to buy six months from now. So this entire mission, Bespokeify, was created to solve that very problem. Interesting. Yeah, and it's such a big problem as we were talking about before we started recording. Um, and there's lots of different people trying to crack this nut. So I wish you all the best with Bespokeify. And if people want to follow and stay in touch, how can they do so? If you go to our website, that has a lot of information about what we do. But we're also on various different social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Medium. We have a blog and Instagram. But if you jump on our website, we have the link to all of those social media channels as well. And with YouTube, we actually upload a lot of content, a couple videos a month, trying to show people how to use the platform to create their own unique designs and, and things like that. So that's a really good site to check out. Great. We'll put all the links up on Electric Runway. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was my conversation with Mark Plose of Bespokeify. To learn more about the company, visit electricrunway.com and click on podcasts. We'll have all the links and information that you need there. That's where you'll also find all past and future episodes of the program. 
The Electric Runway podcast is now available on Spotify, so you can stream us there. For daily fashion tech updates, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at electric underscore runway. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, here's looking towards the future.